We welcome you to explore the third place with us. It is an invitation to the gray space, a space where deeper connections are fostered through challenging, challenging empowering, and, and engaging dialogue. You will walk away with a deeper understanding of self, equipped to engage with others in life's complex conversations. Thank you for listening. We invite you in to the third place. Well, hello, everyone. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, friends. This is a first for us. Um, Mary and I are in the same room. We're six feet apart, though. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So we're so, so close, but not that close. close. (laughs) Yeah, David came from Ohio to Colorado and... We're excited because it's one of the first times we get to have a conversation and record a podcast beside each other. So we both are laughing because we're like, what are we doing? This feels so weird, but yet so familiar all at the same time. Right. It, it was tempting to just go ahead and log into Zoom, though. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just do it. Let's start over. <laughs> uh, so uh, I'm really excited about this episode. Uh, this was one that we have been planning for a few months and talked through um, and really was sparked by a lot of the racial tensions that were happening just a couple months ago and are still happening. Um, We wanted to break down the passion and power of what anger is. When we think about being angry, we think so quickly about more of a negative connotation towards anger. And um, I don't know, if you're like me, I was so just moved by how much positivity has come from a culture and a, a nation really angry at things right now. And it seems like while it's sad that things had to get to that point, the anger in many ways has been able to be turned into a lot of positive response. Yeah, I think that we've both decided that anger can be a catalyst for change. And so we were excited too, because this is the first time we're going to actually interview someone that we think um, has a story to share that relates to how anger and how that internal fire can actually mold and weld and create something. So this is our attempt at breaking down an emotion that has a bad connotation or a tough connotation with it and and trying to sort of reinvent it and, and see what is the beauty that comes from it. Yeah. And one of the things, too, that we've, uh, when we took our break with the podcast, we, we were able to take a little bit of a pause to um, take in some feedback, kind of be critical with ourselves and, and what we were wanting to do with the podcast. And I think one of the things that I'm excited about as we have started this new chapter is a little bit of the format being talking through like an idea and, and really pulling apart like theory and philosophy around an idea, but then then looking at the practical, whether it's a big idea that can come out of the theory and philosophy, or is there a story, or what is the super small thing that we can um, implement in our daily lives and routines and with the relationships that we have around us to um, to begin to put that theory and, and philosophy into practice and really marry those two together. So that's one of the reasons I like for me, I'm excited about this interview, too, because I, we're going to hear a really powerful story and see what anger has done for somebody else and how they've been able to imp- 
implemented in a way that did bring a lot of uh, real change. And I think it's something that we're going to be able to take in and apply to just how we live. Yeah, no question. No question. Yeah, and I like what we want to start with is I want to ask David, what is, you know, when you think of the word anger and the emotion anger, like what's your relationship to it? Because I think that we all have a relationship to it and a knee-jerk response to that word. Um, like we just said, probably mostly a negative theme that comes coupled with it. But what is your relationship to the emotion of anger? Yeah. Well, um, when I, when I think about anger, one of the things I think about is like when I meet with a high school student or a college student or someone that is looking at making career, a career change, the question that is most often wrestled with is like, well, what is it that you love to do? And then can you go find something in that area? And I think that that's a great question and a powerful question, but an equally powerful and great question is, well, what is it that you hate? Mm -hmm. Because hate and love really are the same coin. It's just two different sides. Right. They're so coming from the same place. So the passion of love, I think, is equal to the passion of anger. Like love and anger are also this, this uh, show that this passion can be tapped into. Earlier this year, I watched the documentary about Mr. Rogers. And near the end of that documentary, um, it was pretty quick. Uh, uh, it was a pretty quick comment, but they said that how angry Fred Rogers was in real life. Right. And at that moment, I, like, I paused that and I rewound it and I played it again. And when they did that, like all of a sudden, it just felt like a wave of relief because I could, I could completely relate. Like I'm always the optimist. I'm always like happy. I always believe the best in people. But there's so much for the work that we do with coffee, for the work that we do with, I, I don't know, immigration or like social enterprise, using the tools of business to make the world a better place. Like that's kind of why I do coffee to begin with. All of that is really driven by anger. And I, in that pause moment, like even just pausing at that moment when I was watching the documentary, I stopped it just to, just to stop and reflect for just a minute. I realized that I'm a really angry person. So it never shows up in like the traditional anger ways. Yeah. Like I don't hit people. I don't get into fights. Like, but for me, it was a surprise and a little bit of a relief to like claim that anger. And it helps me to like tap into it more, but knowing that I'm doing it in a positive way, like I'm, I feel like I'm learning now to um, use that passion to truly bring world change. And that's what, they highlighted in the documentary where, you know, here's Mr. Rogers, like not quite Jesus, but just about as close as you can get. <laughs> I mean, even his kids said that, but driven by anger, like, you know, the, he would see war and he would do episodes in response to the war. He would see racism and he was very clear to make sure that in the 1960s, one of the main characters was a black male officer. And, and uh, there was an episode that they highlighted where um, he invited the, he had his feet in a small little baby pool and he invited the black officer yeah. to put yeah. his feet in that pool too. And that it was because that week there was like this huge news story because black people were asked to leave or forced to leave 
in a segregated pool. Yeah. And so he's he was really mad about that. So he's like, screw this. I'm going to put a black guy on, on the TV show and we're going to show what racism is supposed to look like or a healthy relationship with race is what is supposed to look like. Well, I think it's like, like when I watched that too, I felt like, yeah, if someone that comes off to the world and their work with the world comes off as like utmost love, but then you learn that actually what has inspired that action came from a place of anger, like suddenly you're like, oh, I that is so relatable. And I didn't even know that maybe that's actually the the match that lights my fire was coming from that place. Like I was telling you, I think earlier today even, that I realized that in some of my like readings on anger, that anger is a response and that it comes from within. And that oftentimes I think that we are misled thinking that anger is something that happens to us, not something that happens within us. And so it's interesting to realize that like, oh, anger is a response to something. So if you're recognizing that you're having that response, then that's coming from a place that you could tap into. And to know that it can transform into something so powerful and so beautiful is the thing that you and I are trying to like um, invite people to explore because we've experienced it personally. And then even just in your Mr. Rogers story, I feel like it's the exact same thing. It's like the epitome of just saying like, oh, someone was super angry all the time and they turned it into something really productive. Right. Well, I think that maybe that is, is the way to make sure it's productive. So if it's an internal response, we either bottle it up and then let the anger fester inside us. And then the responses are often negative or unproductive or unproductive versus something triggers this anger response within us. Yeah. And it is from within, but we got to get it out as fast as possible. Maybe the best way to do that then is like, so how do we, how do I respond in a beautiful way? Right. Right. Uh, And to me, I think that the best way to respond in a beautiful way is to acknowledge it frequently and not have it lie dormant and then explode like a volcano. But that's not easy because it's an uncomfortable emotion. Like I find it very uncomfortable. Like my story around anger is that I literally used to pride myself in saying that I'm, I'm never angry. Like I think in my entire high school and college, like I thought I was like the coolest girl because I was like, I never get angry. Like I'm so patient. I'm incessantly patient. Um, and that's because I felt like growing up, I didn't see productive anger. It felt irrational. It felt unpredictable. It felt uh, scary. And so my way of coping was like, oh, okay, anger is not a good thing. I don't see how it can be a good thing. It feels like someone comes and jumps on a trampoline and you're like the one that's sitting on the trampoline and you're supposed to get cracked off. Like there was like a a wave of effect that came with it. So my relationship had always been up until I became a mother when it became much more primal for me to just tap into that was that anger is not a good thing. And so I was like the cool one because I was never angry. Yeah. And then suddenly I had a kid and there's something that happens, you know, I'm sure many people go through different transformations. I don't think that having a kid necessarily means that that's the only way you're going to tap into new emotions, but it did for me. 
and I became very raw and I had very little tact. And then suddenly it was like, I had this clarity of like, whoa, I am a mom and I was able to birth a child or like my reality became so different overnight that I felt this strength. And then suddenly it like anger came out to me as like a boundary setting where it was like everything that was happening around me, it was like, no, I'm going to say how that does align with me or how that doesn't align with me. And that was coming from an internal fire, but there was no tact. Mm-hmm. I will not <laughs> say that I had any tact. Right. This, this reminds me of a tool that, um, that I learned in premarital counseling with that. Yeah. Where, um, for the super practical around anger that I learned that has been really helpful for really all of my relationships is called the 24 hour rule. So usually a partnership, a relationship, there's, there's like someone is one way and another person's a little bit different, right? There's an attraction to being different from one another. And so in, um, in many relationships, one person will express anger right away. So usually the feeler will say, Hey, you just did this thing and it made me really mad. And then you get to be mad all of the time. So, but the other response, which is also unhealthy, is the person that bottles it all up mm-hmm. and they never say what is on their mind or they never explain what's angry, which is then also where addictions can kind of start from that. Like a lot of unhealthy behaviors can start from this bottling up and it's, it's a crack in the relationship. So the counselor said he and his wife were a little bit different. Usually the, the male of the relationship is the bottle up, the bottle up person and yeah. the woman of the female presence is more the person that says the emotion right away in his relationship. They were opposite, but, um, the rule that they came up with that was really helpful was this 24 hour rule. So where if you're someone who responds really quickly to an anger response, the key is to wait 24 hours before you say, Hey, yesterday this happened and I'm really upset about that. And the reason why that 24 hour rule worked really well for that personality type is usually the thing that made you angry in the moment actually wasn't a very big deal. And 24 hours later, you don't even remember it. So it's like, well, it's like what we talked about with feelers, you're processing out loud all the time. Mm. So like, what if you like, remember that if you're always, cause I process out loud. Right. Oh my God. <laughs> um, then it, then things can pass rather than it feeling like the, person is just constantly expressing frustration or anger, which is probably pretty debilitating. Right. Yeah. And especially over time. Yeah. So at some point, you know, you, the other response might be just to tune it out because it's like crying wolf all the time. Right. It's like it holds no weight. Right. So, but the 24 hour rule works for the other person as well. So if something is still bothering that person in 24 hours, it's not that they, they're not allowed to bottle up after 24 hours. They have to let the other party know that, hey, this thing really made me mad. So there's also this outlet where they're not allowed to bottle things up. And so for that individual and personality type, that 24-hour rule is also really helpful. Well, it's cool because when we talked about like uh, six months ago, I was leading a team and I had I was making what I call a recipe for conflict, conflict resolution. And we talked about this and the 24 hour rule came up for the workplace too. Oh, right. Because we were saying that that could be an element of conflict resolution in the workplace too, that even if you have an exchange with a colleague, like 
if it still sticks after a day, then it's something worth sharing. And if it still sticks after a day for the person that maybe is less vocal or um, of a, less of a feeler, then it also is something that they need to go outside of their comfort zone to share. Right. But that was something that, like, I feel like it. it's not, yeah, even though you discover this in premarital counseling, it's like, it's just in relating with people oh, and, and how you express your triggers. Right. No, it's been really helpful for our team because we've, we've talked about it. Um, my closest managers, we, I mean, they refer to the 24 hour rule all the time. If, if there is conflict among the team, we follow those principles and it's been really helpful. As, as someone that's like such an outward processor that will tell you everything in my passing thought, that would make me feel uncomfortable to know that someone was sitting with something for 24 hours and ruminating on it. Maybe it's not even that they were ruminating, but it's just funny that my knee-jerk response was like, man, that would be really hard for me to absorb that information knowing that someone, that it was hard for them, A, to talk about it because maybe that was out of their nature, but B, that it was with them for that 24-hour period. Oh. But that you know would, that would, like, that. That, would th- that would carry a lot of impact. I think at first there, yeah, I can hear, I hear what you're saying. And I think even like. You're like, you didn't, you, I made you mad for that long. I could right. have fixed it. Right. But it's not that it's, <laughs> so like, uh, I think that for that type of person, the person that bottles it up tends to be an internal processor too. Right, they need that time still. So, so that time is not that they're angry for 24 hours. It's like that angry in the moment, but it takes them 24 hours to even put words to the anger that they feel. Uh huh. So I the think tact. That that's why the yeah. tact. Mm-hmm. It's. I think it would do the same thing for me. Like I was talking about how I felt tactless. Like this to me feels like something that would give me tact in trying to. I I am very able to put words to it, but I don't know if I'm able to put words to it in a way that could be productive oh right because it's almost like i feel like if you talk about it right away like that's expediting it but it actually can do more damage because then you're doing it without the thoughtfulness right and maybe it was something that didn't need to be unpacked to begin with and it was something that just was using it you've now right you've now amped it up oh my god i cannot relate to that more Yeah, I'm sure all of my friends and family listening to me are like, Mary, Mary's the sort of person that, I mean, I was, I was raised in a family that we had family meetings and we would talk about like, Hey, Hey, you know, my brother, Johnny, like what made you happy today? You know, the highlight, low light practice, like what was your highlight of the day or what was your low light? That's not exactly what we did, but there was a feeling around that. And we would go around and everyone would be able to share something. And a lot of that was sharing something that maybe upset you. You know, I probably told on someone as the youngest, I was the tattletale that (laughs) came up often around the table. And so we were always like having a space to go there frequently. So I'm used to frequent communication around tricky stuff. Right. But sometimes just like heightens it. So, so, I mean, what I hear is that there's both good and bad. Like, that's a really great family practice I hear. I'm like, ooh, that's something that I would want to implement. That sounds like a great idea. But it's also like... It's a little culty. A little bit. <laughs> and, and so I'm sure that there's some negative effects of that as well, right? Yeah. But, but the bottom line is all of us come from so many different backgrounds. Even if we have, like, the same economic, race, gender, all the things... 
we still come from different families. Yeah. And our family systems are vastly different from one another. And so some people have had those experiences, but probably not most. And you can say that about any experience, that there's lots of things that we share and and lots of things that we don't share. And so it's kind of just even respecting that we have lots of things in common and we have a lot of things in different. And processing information and processing, processing emotion is just another one of those things. I think that when I also hear you say, I process out loud. So again, recently learned that I'm an expert and I absolutely process a lot of things out loud. I can remember a couple instances where something happened where it it did make me upset, like really upset, where I knew that I would be upset 24 hours later. A couple times I have said, hey. Like it was so clear to you. Yeah. Like, well, that's like, a, don't you think that that's because there's a physical sensation that is a part of it? Because to me, like, that's when you feel, well, maybe not. I don't know. I'm just yeah. thinking, like, is there, is, like, what's the, what are the signs, of, like, what makes that different in texture than you having something that feels like you could sit with it for 24 hours? Like, yeah. what's the elements? I mean, it? I think I can't, I can't quite remember specifics I just know that that like that was my response like okay this thing happened and without question I know I'm going to sit with this for 24 hours and I and I want to talk about it and more often than not the way I would say that as an external processor I would call it out right away like I'm thinking like in a work context uh, this I can't remember the specifics but I remember in a work context saying like "Ooh, this happened I am, I'm upset about it, but I'll talk, but I do want to talk about it tomorrow. So I like acknowledged it right away and acknowledged like, Ooh, this really made me mad. I just want you to know, but let's unpack it. I, I know I need to like think about my role in whatever made me upset. Cause I, I always tend to think that no matter what, if someone, if there's a conflict period, I have to assume that I brought something to the table. And it has to be something. So, um, I mean, that just sounds like so emotionally intelligent to me. And that I feel like of all the emotions, anger is the hardest one to uh, put like control around. That I, I think if I was listening to you, even as I sit here listening to you and I hear that you say that you recognize that fierce of an emotional response and you were still able to like say, oh, I'm experiencing this and I'll talk in 24 hours. I'm like, I don't know many people that would be able to without a ton of practice. Well, I think that that is the key. It's that you've just been, you've been practicing this 24 hour rule for For how many years? 12 years. Right. So that's, that's huge because otherwise I think of when I think of all angers or all emotions, I think of anger as the one that like is one of the hardest to like stop a train in its tracks and that, it also, for me, being someone that said I was never angry, I didn't even know what anger felt like or what it looked like besides one thing that I observed or witnessed or experienced. And then suddenly I became, it was a, it was a physical response for me. So it was like a feeling of breathlessness and heat and, um, and then over time probably like like a feeling of resentment, but also anger to me has affected like my sleep and my health 
um, my physical health, but like it, it's taken me a long time. It's almost like the first step to what they say around a lot of things is like recognizing it. And that would, I would like have to like first dial back and say, Oh, I'm recognizing what is this? Cause it felt so foreign to me. Well, so think about how, if recognizing is it is one of the first critical steps, like all of a sudden 24 hours becomes a gift. Like you right. get 24 hours to like unpack it a little bit more and process your emotion and take a deep breath. Yay, like the question, the question that I'm <laughs> curious to you is, so I do think that what I just described is maybe the end of the story. Like this is what you can hope for is that you can have and learn over a lot of time yeah. and a lot of practice of the 24 hour rule how to like very quickly respond to something in a very healthy way. Right. That's the end of the story. The beginning of learning how to process anger, if the first step is recognizing it, maybe the second step is like, what does it look like to implement a 24 hour rule? And obviously to share with whoever you have the conflict, like, Hey, you know, even in that first conflict, you have to now explain to them what the 24 hour rule is maybe. You know, and that might be a way to help. So that's definitely a big step forward. Well, the way I started to recognize it besides the physical sensations was I started to ask myself, um, like, what did I keep complaining about? Or what was I, what was like something that ruffled my feathers? That And then, and then if I'm sitting and talking to a colleague and there's like a theme to what I'm bitching about, or there's a theme to, um, the nagging that I would do at home. I mean, I hate that word, but like, you know, what are those things that come up that it's like so easy for you to go to that place of like complaining and then ask yourself, is there a theme there? And then that's where I found where my anger was coming from. And then. So that sounds like a tool system that you've kind of built through your experiences. Totally. Because I needed to first understand like, when I was angry versus when I was feeling sad or happy or confused or, you know, there's just like so many complex emotions that anger got muddled up between all of it. So then those were things that helped me to recognize when I was coming from a place of anger. Cause that's like anger, anger in that way, just like love is like an effortless energy. Mm-hmm. Really. When you think about it, mm-hmm. it comes with very little, with very much ease. So if you could transfer that easeful energy. Right. Yeah. I think what, if, if there's one thing I would love people to take away from this conversation is anger is a gift. Yeah. Right. It's not the, it's not the negative and, and we can, we have plenty of examples of what anger in a negative context looks and feels like, but anger as an emotional response gets us to an easy thing like all of a sudden we ten, can tap into a passion and do something like it makes me feel like uh you know when like an emotional response anger is like it adrenaline producing like you see a car accident and you need to and all of a sudden your body has supernatural strength to do whatever it needs to do and so anger is this response that can get you to that kind of place so anger i think if anger can be looked at more from a positive perspective like it is a healthy emotional response. Anger helps us discover and set boundaries, right? So what are some other ways that you think of when anger being used in a more positive kind of line of thinking? Yeah, I mean, the boundary thing is very real for me because it's how I transformed how I used to work and how I work now. And 
you know, was a journey, but it, it started with me being in that coworker relationship where I had a theme around the stuff that was frustrating me around the workplace. And then I realized, okay, well then that means that something doesn't work for me. So therefore I can set a boundary and reinvent what does work for me. So it, it propelled me on this path of like, okay, then here are the elements. It helped me identify the traits of the next workplace and the next workplace and the next workplace. And that's been over the course of the last, um, you know, decade. And then now because of that work and ongoing understanding what boundaries I need to set that would help me sustain and not burn out, then I've slowly manifested a, a balance that works for me. So I think that that's something a lot of people can relate to. You almost have to experience it repeatedly, the pain of it, for you to then actually shift into the change of it. Right. Right. You said something earlier today. You related anger to fire. Yeah. And I thought that that was a really healthy visual. Because when I think of fire, I can think of it in this wildfire scenario where it's just raging uncontrollably. But I also can think of fire that, when controlled, is used for cooking, it's used for automobiles and engines, it's used... And so, to me, it's a very appropriate word that matches. Totally. And and just like anything, I mean, you add fuel to that fire and it can mm. it can go out of control but if contained so if you have those tools of tact i think the fire can just be really beautiful and productive and resourceful my mind also went to as you learn maybe these tools and put them into practice in terms of containing like then to seek out more fuel like all of a sudden you can maybe even narrow in on what's driving your anger and, you know, more of a, like a world change kind of thing. Like, yeah. The change maker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Because then, you know, I think that fire tends to be a lot of the reasons why, or anger, they're sort of like, um, synonyms for me for why entrepreneurs start businesses or there's like radical schools of thought. And that with that, once you hone in on it, you still need that fire. So it's almost like you have to keep that, keep propelling forward, even though it's so easy, like, that, yeah, there's this forefront energy. How do you keep that forefront energy, like, throughout? And that's, like, why entrepreneurs have to reinvent and reinvent and reinvent. And so there's got to be a source of fire coming. And I think that that usually comes from, like, a company has a a mission like a consumer focused mission of how they want to impact the world and that's becoming more the norm like benefit corporations like we were talking about and that that is what keeps them steadfast in the fire mm -hmm. and it keeps like the fuel can keep trickling through because of that being a part of the foundation rather than just like starting a company with no sort of heart or emotion behind it and slowly dissipating right yeah and and i think that i mean that makes me think of all the coffee shop owners i know like they would so many people that start coffee shops or at least the ones that we've worked with it's coming from a place of anger where why does not why it doesn't my community have a safe place for better dialogue or why don't we have 
tools needed for better dialogue. Now, none of them would say that they're a social enterprise or that they're socially minded business. But to me, they absolutely are because they're creating this safe place and they're tapping into that anger quite often where it, it comes up in the way that they've designed their cafes to make sure that there are spaces where people can connect. It shows up in them hosting dialogue conversations around hard topics. So I think in small ways, one that's one thing that I want to continue to explore. These small steps, I think, are so, so critical. So so if you are angry about something, it's not that you have to like quit your job and everything that you do and you know do some huge thing, but you can truly do something small now that begins to set you up for the bigger things later. And those small things are just, I think... If we could, if we could just do anger as a better way to have dialogue with one another, I mean, doesn't our society need that now more than ever? Mm-hmm. And isn't learning one of these tools maybe a great way to start to implement better societal dialogue? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it. What if it could just be as simple as that? Right. Right. Just as simple as recognizing what anger is for you, how it presents and where that's coming from and how you could transfer that energy into a something positive because it's an effortless emotion. It's an effortless amount of energy. So you might as well shift it into something you can do because you're going to expend that energy no matter what. Right. And then in sort of the next layer is finding that tact by trying that 24 hour rule and seeing when things stick and when things don't and how to then express it after some introspection. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that was fun and intense. and <laughs> There was certainly a lot of passion. I think, in that um, I'm, I'm looking forward to our next, our interview. So we'll, we'll, uh, hear more in just this next segment. Any other final thoughts, Mary? Final thoughts. Um, Okay, so there's this amazing book uh, by Harriet Lerner. And I first learned of her book from Brene Brown and it's called The Dance with Anger. And I loved like bringing in the visual of dance because it seems like what we're talking about is it is, it's a dance, it's a give and a take, even if it's in relationship to yourself or to someone else. And she said in the book, when I was reading it recently, it says, it takes courage to know when you are angry and to let others know about it. And that really stuck with me personally because that's something that I've wrestled with. And I think that many of us wrestle with because we think that maybe anger should not be voiced or should not be um, a part of the conversation. When, when in fact, I hope that what everyone took away from this conversation we just had was that it could be the total antithesis of that and there is a lot of beautiful aspects to anger yeah we're super excited to have you listen to uh, an interview with our friend don mclaughlin and and let him share his story so so here we go you will We're excited to introduce to you Don McLaughlin. Don is an investor, serial entrepreneur, 
and former Fortune 500 corporate lawyer who discovered the healing powers of hemp and other super herbs after he hit rock bottom at the height of his legal career. By integrating these herbs into a daily routine, Don transformed his health and professional career. With these changes, Don turned around and then sold a multi-million dollar consulting firm that he founded and simultaneously became a 100-mile ultra-endurance trail runner at the age of 46. So through anger and passion, Don really made some significant changes and we're excited to share his story with you as we continue the episode of Beautifully Angry. Mary? We're here speaking with Don. Don's a friend of mine, a fast friend. Um, Only met in January and we probably only got to have a couple coffee sessions too, if even because we were going through a startup business accelerator, which is exactly what you'd expect. It's an accelerator, (laughs) super high speed. And um, the two times that Don and I got to connect, we, I felt like he was just a kindred spirit to me. And we've had both had leadership training in authentic leadership from Naropa University. And when David and I were talking about who we wanted to speak to in regards to how anger can be a catalyst for change, I thought of your story, Don, and um, would love for you to share just a little bit about who you are to start and then really what I, and I know that the listeners want to hear is like, what is your relationship to anger? Great. Well, I appreciate that intro, Mary, and I'm delighted to, to, to talk with you. So I like to think of myself as both a, a seeker and a creator at the same time. And that's shown up, I think, in my life, trained as a lawyer, but have really pushed the bounds, I think, of what a typical lawyer um, might do for their for their work. And I'm also, you know, a father of three. My oldest is 19 at Colorado School of Mines, and, and I've got a 17-year-old girl and a 12-year-old boy. And, and with that, I'm also a, an athlete. Uh, I've been a lifelong athlete, and later in life, at a time that I really uh, needed it, I found long-distance ultra-endurance trail running, and that's been uh, uh, and continues to be a very important part of my life um, in, in just really started in my mid forties. And now I'm, as it turns out, an entrepreneur a, a couple times over and I've founded a, a company that's a labor of love born of um, my own uh, lessons uh, of uh, not taking care of myself and burning the candle at both ends to the point that there was no candle left. Yeah. And the bottom really came uh, out for me in ways that, a lot was at stake and and uh, by a combination of grace and grit um i uh saw my way through a very difficult time that started in late 2012 and it's not just been all roses since then while i've built and then scaled and sold a successful consulting and a firm previously in the midst of all of that you know my marriage of 16 years unraveled and um i've i think returned to that sort of grace and grit and i think this conversation around beautifully angry, um, I feel does really resonate with my experience through the course of, of that journey and where I'm going now. Yeah. So like, was there, would you say that anger was what prompted some of those shifts in your life and the evolution of where you were and where you are now? And I'm sure where you will be, but I'm curious, like how has anger played a role in this transition, these massive transitions that you've made including some loss around a marriage and, and other things. Yes, for sure. 
you know, um, I think the, the, the topic of anger is one that, um, honestly, it's, it's one that's been uncomfortable for me. I think having grown up, you know, in a traditional Irish Catholic family where, you know, kids are to be seen and not heard was, uh, you know, definitely an adage, adage in a large family. I was one of seven. And, you know, expressing anger, a little uncomfortable, um, even though I witnessed it around me a little bit, my parents and in, in the way they raised us. It's only been, I think, through the course of my adult life where I really connected with anger in a more healthy way. And it's an ongoing process for me. And the anger, I would say, that's been most catalyzing for me is one that's really a, a very personal one that directed um, and channeled internally in this way. It's the anger that I felt about being out of integrity with myself and the marshalling of this energy internally that has an anger element to it that I feel like has been the catalyst for those big changes. Um, and, and it's a you know paradox in a way in that I've definitely experienced anger that's been um, not helpful, that tends to lead me astray. And that sort of anger is externally oriented at circumstances that I believe are outside of my control that I'm angry about um, and griping about. And the, the catalyzing anger has been one that I've owned within to recognize that I play a role in my own experience of life and the influence I can have in my own way. And so, you know, when I had this very, very low moment in my life, um, there was this, again, there was sort of this combination of um, this channeled anger about how much I had fallen out of alignment with my own integrity hmm. and, and, a, and a coupling of love and acceptance for myself and, 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 and my having found myself so out of integrity with myself. So it was kind of both at the same time that seemed to have this alchemy and it led to me like doing a 180 over the course of several hours and shifting the course of my life in very big ways that had me turn around a business that was at the risk of going under, even though, you know, multi-million dollar business, dozens of employees. Um, I all of a sudden just had a total shift in mindset and all the anger that I'd been directing sort of externally. And what sort of anger am I talking about? Um, anger around the intense and persistent and prevalent greed that um, I worked within in both the legal world in big law firms and also in you know, Fortune 500 companies where maximum return to shareholder and the pressure to constantly have more got, got me angry. And yet that anger, again, wasn't serving me until I got to a point where I could just accept my circumstances and love myself for having fallen prey to that chase for more. I, I recognized that I was very much doing that. And that's how I got so out of alignment with myself. So like, I mean, you said so many amazing things that I can connect to right there. But the first thing that I, that comes up for me is that it was like you were being pulled into something that was out of your nature. And so you had to recognize that you were, you know, you said integrity, but to me, it's almost like you were just out of homeostasis and that, 
how did you being out of homeostasis, how did that present? Was it physical? Like what, what were some of the elements or texture that came with you that helped you have that 180? Yes. Um, great question. For me, I, I think it showed up in um, the feeling sort of the persistent resentment and feeling just dissatisfied, more than dissatisfied, like just upset constantly about, you know, living a, a, a life that I knew was increasingly not my own, right? I was pursuing and chasing a, a definition of success that, that really was not my own, even though I 100% bought into it and agreed, but I got to a point where I realized I'm no longer in agreement. Yeah. My pursuit of these external forms of validation and success that I had made up, you know, associated my own mind as, you know, I'm, I'm like worthy, you know, that I'm, that I'm, that I'm valued. And so um, I think what it showed up as though was just outbursts where it, it was me not really, you know, doing a great job of calmly um, expressing anger and, and, I, and I mean that in that way, right? Rather than just blowing up without having really thought through what, where the source of energy was, it was just knee jerk that, and, and, and you know, it, it, it definitely undermined my marriage. It definitely has impacted my, my, my parenting and my children directly. And so uh, that, you know, sort of stacked up. And when I had this reset in late 2012, um, it, it very much was a reset. Um, where that anger all of a sudden was channeled into good. I just felt this compulsion to serve as best I possibly could in every single capacity in my life, to serve life. Yeah. Um, and so that became all of a sudden a new way of viewing anger and it became far more productive, far, far more productive. Not to say that there are unhealthy aspects of anger that I still grapple with, but I feel like it was like, you know, a night and day shift for me. So something that David and I talked about was the process of recognizing the anger and then finding the tact around it. And I'm wondering what practices, like you said, you know, that it came out in an unproductive way, or it was a, like a response to something rather than an ownership. Like, are there any other practices that come up for you that you think are potent for your own journey, but also that you hope to instill in your children or in the people that you lead? Yes. Great question. For, for me, um, meditation in any form is mm -hmm. uh, absolutely vital because it allows me to uh, notice when, you know, unhealthy aspects of anger return where I'm, you know, projecting outward instead of owning my own anger right, and my ability to be a creator, to have agency around my anger. Um, so that's vitally important. And then, you know, for me, solitude, uh, particularly in wilderness nature, connected with nature in some way, provides something similar. It's a, a space in which I can reflect. And in the course of doing so, I seem to have more of a gap between things that happen and my response to them, where previously, I might just lash out. I'm able to, again, recognize when feelings of anger come up and redirect them in much more 
productive ways in ways that I feel like really move things forward rather than just spin cycle on outrage and, you know, almost drama around what that, you know, anger is tied to externally, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that makes total sense. You know, something that I've been always wanting to ask, because I think about how you were saying that outside in nature and thinking about you as an ultra runner, um, I've always wanted to ask long distance runner because I'm sure you've heard this. People say runners are running from something, right? So to me, I feel like running is like a transfer of that energy and that fire that I think can be synonymous with anger. And I'm wondering like, what would be your response to someone saying that? And, and what is your relationship to that statement? Wow. <laughs> that is, that's a, that's a good one. Um, I have heard that. Uh, before and um, in my capacity now as founder of, of Pure Power, we we have m many fans that are long distance ultra endurance trail runners and endurance athletes, um, and I see see that in myself and in others. And what comes up for me is that I am running away from temporarily the inclination to get caught up in the extra. Mm -hmm circumstances and my anger directed outward and instead it allows me a pause to um, move away from that sort of knee-jerk reaction and, and, and return to a, a place of you know just greater awareness and conscientiousness around anger and things that are you know I'm feeling strongly about whatever it may be Mm -hmm. and, and in channeling it in that way, through running for me or endurance generally, it just seems to be transformative in that I come back far more able to manage anger in a more productive way and recognize, again, my own agency and that, um, that I'm not at the at the whim of external circumstances or caught up in them and that I can, through my own channeling of that anger, in a way, um, I like to think, be at more peace. Yeah. But also feel, feel like an agent, feel like I can be proactive more than when I set out on a run, honestly. Yeah. When I'm feeling victimized and subject to circumstances and angry about that, I return much more grounded and capable I feel like to respond better do you think that like in physical exertion it sort of expedites that processing yes a hundred percent and and um so like I, from, I, I would bet you could even speak to that from like a biological perspective too knowing that you know with pure power botanicals like it, does anything come to mind as to how there's a connection that can be made in that can expedite that process? Yes, for, for sure. I think that anger, uh, like so many emotions, and it's obviously a very strong one, um, can get internalized within the body and show up in, you know, you know, muscle tissue and myofascia and all of that, right? And movement is, you know, emotion in motion. And I think that that's... Mm -hmm. It, it, it just can work its way through in ways that what's happening with the Maasai tribe or all, all, so many tri native peoples, there's movement because there's emotion and, and there's something 
very magical that happens through the course of that movement. And that's absolutely part of my love for moving across the ground exertion that mm -hmm. I intend to do until, you know, I, I fall to the floor for the last time. Yeah, I mean, it's like how we've, we're the only species that has dropped that response to trauma where we shake, where you shake, shake it off, you know, that, you know, yeah. when an animal goes through something traumatic or they're right. in shock, then they, they shake. Um, and that that's like, there's so much around that, that we feel insecure to do that and that it feels uh, out of body for us to do it or embarrassing or whatever it may be when it's such a productive and so minor practice that could be helpful to moving oh, anger and, and it's and it's so regrettable because i think it's so accessible because if you see a gymnast right or a swimmer and or a diver and they have a bad experience what do they tend to, a lot of times right they'll sh they'll shake it out yeah you said it shake it off yeah and athletes doing it because it's like sloughing off just that emotion that's built up that uh, they know is derailing their efforts Right? right. It's taking them in a direction they don't want to go. So now that you feel like anger has been such a catalyst for you, like what are some really small, easy to implement things that you would encourage other people to do? We, we just did an episode on presence and in the midst of chaos recently. And, and we talked a lot about meditation, but that sometimes we feel like when we tell people, here's this tool, it can add to the experience of chaos or to the experience of anxiety or anger because it's just another thing that is um, anxiety producing or whatever it may be. So we're always trying to like explore what are bite-sized pieces of things that people can walk away with on a very minor but impactful level. Yeah, I, lo I love that um, because I think it can seem daunting, you know, mm -hmm. and in clients that I've coached and our customers as well, you know, these practices that come so easy to those that have implemented them seem overwhelming for those that their lawn, you know, their list is already, you know, full. Um, a couple of very simple ones that come to mind um, that I think are so easy is just, you know, once a day have a practice of, you're just breathing, just recapturing attention on breath. If it's only five breaths, 10 breaths, that, that can be a way to reset, right? Because we then turn the switch off momentarily from fight or flight. And we just, we have, you know, we're, we're re resetting ourselves. So that's one way is just deep breath. Mm, thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. I needed it. Always need it. I tell I tell my three year old son. I taught him to take a deep breath. Like that's one of my like most proud things that he's absorbed. And I I think probably twenty five percent of the time do I do it with him. And I realized that a couple months ago. And now I'm trying to be like, okay, anytime I tell him, like I got to do it too. <laughs> you know. So thank you. Parker has done the same thing. He just, he had a meltdown with me the other day and it's like, buddy, just read it out. And like for a minute, he's like, <laughs> you know, no, it's amazing. But yeah. It, it, it kind of hijacks us in a good way. Right. Yeah. No, another that comes to mind is uh, an extension of that 
um, that I think is so underappreciated um, in our world. And it's the one that I felt like I was at the extreme of. Always got to be busy. Always have to be connected. Always, you know, the idea of shutting it down, even for a short period of time. Yeah. The world I come out of is like, you know, poo-pooed. It might as well have been a Wall Street trading floor in the law firm. Because if you're not working, you're not making money. Yeah. The idea of taking 10 minutes and just closing the door and just closing your eyes for 10 minutes and just setting a timer, you know, it'll be unsettling at first because the nervous system is used to the constant stimuli. But if just you can practice that, you know, start with three minutes and see what happens. I think that what one will find is you like it. And then you want to do imperceptibly four minutes, five minutes, and that kind of builds up from there. So that's one thing I definitely recommend is just starting very small. And in the afternoon, when you feel like the wires are totally frayed inside, you just take a break, right? Yeah. Um, preferably with eyes closed, just to remove all stimuli and get that experience of, okay, I'm outside of all this stimuli just for a brief second. And, and then if, if one could do that outside and connect with some element of nature, whether it's a bird or wind moving through grass or, or leaves, all the better. Because, you know, science is now showing that that experience of being connected with nature absolutely down-regulates fight-or-flight response. Cortisol drops. It's all the things that we need to disconnect from all that external stimuli where that anger can take over us in ways that aren't productive and they just lead to our exhaustion and I think increased cynicism. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, we've talked about this in our first time that we ever did, but we're so incentivized. You were clearly so incentivized to be busy, um, you know, very tangibly through pay. Whereas I think there's even a massive undercurrent of subtle incentivizing that's happening with being busy where even in text exchange you know the person oh i'm so sorry i'm so busy like there's something that is there's a positive reinforcement that's happening societally around being busy and that what you're doing in taking 10 minutes or now what i know you do in the way that you operate pure power more and i'm sure it ebbs and flows no doubt but that you do operate with moments of pause and balance. And I'm wondering, you know, how anger has, has like shaped your business today, because I feel like that's a piece of it that I want you to dive into a little bit more, but also um, how you sustain that, that balance despite the ever flowing incentive to do otherwise. Great question. I so appreciate it. Um, particularly given my work now, it's uh, both a labor of love and also a, a mission fueled uh, by uh, anger uh, around um, aspects of our lifestyle and in particular the more Western-oriented culture and particularly in the U.S. of a real disconnection from our own well-being and our health and that we're have been conditioned in my mind and we've agreed to it that external 
doctors, uh, pharmaceuticals are the source for our well-being, and um, that our uh, food is something to just be consumed mindlessly, and our consumption of other things that pulls us further and further away from ourselves, our own nature, and for me, our, 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 our source, ultimately. And um, the role that anger plays is that, for me, um, I've just had the experience of being um, closer to the behind the scenes of large organizations that have enormous influence on policies that I disagree with that um, elevate and prioritize profit over social good and human welfare and well-being. And so pure power is a way for me to uh, highlight the gifts that Mother Nature um, gives us so generously that are often uh, overlooked um, in this culture driven by profit and um, and and it provides a another way, right? An alternative mm -hmm. that I think brings more balance and uh, alignment and peace, and has a shift from again looking externally for solutions uh, to our health and well-being, and instead to the innate wisdom within our own bodies, and again within these gifts that Mother Nature has provided that for so long sustained and nourished generations, right, uh, of cultures um, that we have, I think, lost sight of and touch with. And also for me, pure power has a social cause component to it. Um, and, and one of those social causes that we believe so strongly in is regenerative uh, organic agriculture as a way to reverse the clear and present danger from soil uh, degradation, uh, from the damage caused by large-scale industrial agriculture that we know is causing, you know, problems here domestically with the Mississippi Delta and all that soil, rich nutrient-dense soil out of the Midwest that for decades now has been flowing down the Mississippi and essentially killing the bayou. Um, two other places around the world, right? And so um, I, I see Pure Power, our mission in part to fuel the efforts of an organization, one that we really align with, Rodale Institute based in Pennsylvania mm -hmm. by the founder of Rodale Publishing years and years ago. And they have a hemp initiative and Pure Power supports that initiative um, financially because its sole mission is to study how hemp can be integrated by farmers to regenerate soil and do so in ways that simply don't require um, the chemical inputs that are in so much of our agriculture. Uh, and, and, and so diminishing, uh, you know, chemicals uh, and also regenerating the soil um, in the way that hemp uh, does in a very, um, you know, balanced way. So that's a way that we're kind of channeling that anger in ways that, you know, I, I, I've always so admire, you know, as millions and generations will continue to do. Mm -hmm. A small man named Gandhi in India you know, channeled an anger around British occupation to the what it was going to as opposed to what it was fighting against.
would India have gained independence as rapidly and as arguably peacefully as it did. So I think for us, I take that as a model of channel the anger toward what we want. And for us, it's a, a regenerative agriculture where chemical agriculture is viewed as the thing that costs more money because of the downstream co costs to both environmental and human welfare. Uh, and in particular, the destruction that chemicals in agriculture have caused to the human biome, the gut biome that I, I think is at the heart of so many autoimmune uh, disorders that are, you know, really have caused no doubt. so much havoc. I mean, even just as you said that, I just had this visual that it's not running from, it's running to. Yes. Like it just like came full circle for me where it's like, it's a, it's a running to, it's the act of running to and not what you're fighting against or running from, it's a running to. Yes, yes. And, 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 and that future, I think, is a very, very promising one, even though it seems so daunting, particularly given decades of, you know, uh, you know, distrusting science. Well, science will show you, as Rodale is showing, that regenerative agriculture, it has immediate benefits in terms of being more productive in drought years because the soil is richer and it's able to retain the moisture. But then the downstream consequences science shows that it is absolutely the sustainable way. And that's what obviously native people thought about multi-generational use of resources in a way that could provide for generations. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering who, like, who have you known? Is there anyone that comes up for you when you think of a representation of beautiful anger? personal, professional, someone that you try to even model your work on now? Well, when um, uh, the hard times come, and there are, you know, uh, as a startup entrepreneur with a social cause part of our business, um, I'm often reminded of the resolve um, born, I think of anger, but channeled in a very productive way uh, of Nelson Mandela for all those years that he was in just solitary confinement. And when he could have stewed that anger and been never obviously pushed out and influenced an entire country and then the world through his channeled anger that steeped for years, but in a very directed way, that's a person that yeah, I admire and uh, I aspire to to follow um, their their lead. And there are so many others who mm -hmm. experienced injustice um, and channeled that in uh, the, a most beautiful way. Rosa Parks. I mean, there's just so many examples. Yeah, there's so much light there, even in the midst of a lot of darkness in the world right now. Yeah. It, like talk about the epitome of sitting with it and like, you know, marinating in it. That's something I struggle with for sure, admittedly, and always wanting to just push something forward and fix it and make it right. And I think when you are a business owner, that's, we talk about how you're just apt to do that because you oftentimes need to, but that that could be the Band-Aid fix rather than what you're talking about, the more regenerative approach to not only the work that you do and what you're providing the, your community, but also the way you operate. 
Yeah, yes, I, I appreciate that. And I think that moving toward that and, and, and living into that future um, is, the, again, the catalyzing aspect of anger as opposed to it just cycling itself and sort of leading down a black hole. Um, and so, yeah, working toward that future and, um, you know, I, I feel like there's almost a metaphysical element to that too that I've experienced in my life. Um, you know, there's this adage, you know, whatever you give attention to, right, grows. Right. And, and so, um, you know, constantly resisting what we don't want, I think, unfortunately, keeps us Manifest in an energetic <laughs> loop. And, and, and Mandela is a, a perfect example of that. He had obviously a lot to resist, but he had an agenda to see that country and the power structure completely change in a way that came to be. Well, I just love talking to you every single time, Don. You're so eloquent. And I really thank you for spending some time and, you know, having a conversation around anger, especially when it's so current right now and you know thank you for coming into the third place with us because that's what we're trying to do is is go there and and make it give people permission to go there and and sort of be ugly in it and i think that anger can really come off pretty ugly on occasion but we're trying to find a way of making it beautiful so i think that you really put it beautifully thank you for inviting me into this conversation with you both. I enjoyed it immensely and look forward to an opportunity to chat again. Can you please tell everyone where to find what you're doing and, and what you're up to? Because I'm sure people will be pinging me like crazy. Yes. Best, best, <laughs> uh, best place on the personal front is uh, people can just find me on social at Don McLaughlin. That's M-C-L-A-U-G-H-L-I-N, Jr., um, on Facebook and Instagram. And then Pure Power is at um, Pure Power Life on social, Pure Power Life. And then a direct to our website is livepurepower.com. Thank you. We so appreciate you. This is so fun. I really So fun. <laughs> fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Love what you guys are doing. Oh, thank you. We, yeah, genuinely. Yeah. I, I love I love it. I love it to create a space to have these sorts of conversations. Uh, I love the third place, and the need for it is m more pronounced than ever. Right, yeah. to have calm, thoughtful, conscientious conversations. Right, you know, in our conversation, I think the thing that lingers with me that just came up is that there's an aspect of anger that the way in which we can collectively just fall prey to you know our programming and conditioning that we forget our own humanity and uh and and, and behind that humanity is is love right that's the thing that unites us all and so i feel like that's ultimately you know the the single unifying cohesive thing for which anger should be directed to wake us up to the reality that that is our existence Well, thank you again for joining us this week on our episode of Beautifully Angry. Of course, you can continue the conversation with us as uh, you check out our Facebook and Instagram and uh, really excited about uh, our playlist, our music playlist that goes with this episode. You can find that both on Spotify or Apple Music. 
uh, and you can see the links in the show notes. Our hope truly is that we've sparked an energy inside you that you can tap into something that makes you angry and that's that you view it as a calling, a call to action, that you can take a small step towards resolving that anger and bringing more love and joy and peace to the world through that passion and through that energy and through that anger. And uh, again, the hope that we see in the world today and the changes that we're looking to see and looking to make, uh, so many of them can be brought through this anger energy and, and um, anger gives me hope. And anger gives us hope and we hope that it gives you hope too. Be well, everyone. <laughs>